0: First and foremost, I want to say this morning, as our country reacts to the 2016 elections, it's important for us as Christians to remember several things and hold them in balance. First, we are called to honor those in positions of authority. The Apostle Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except God, and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves." as a constitutional republic we are first subject to the Constitution of the United States and secondarily to the office holders it puts in place. Thus we owe honor and respect to president, legislators and judges. While we are free to disagree and work for change where we see problems we are not free to hate Or despise those in office. Especially we are called to pray for them. Second, we acknowledge all earthly rule and authority as temporal, temporary. Psalm 146 3 says, put not your trust in princes. That is, do not see them as saviors, or gods. The Lord is king and his kingdom is of a very different sort than political rule. My kingdom is not of this world, Jesus said. If it were, my servants would fight. That's from John chapter 18 verse 36. So whether you see these elections as a great step forward for our country or view them with alarm, be moderated by the recognition that these are not the ultimate things. Put not your trust in princes, but instead put your trust in the Lord who hath both redeemed you and given you your own work to do. Care for your family, Even laugh and enjoy the good things of this creation. Read the Bible, pray, sing, all the while recognizing that this life is a sojourn. Do good, do justice in your lives in the name and the power of Jesus Christ. We are citizens of the kingdom of God and pilgrims on the path to the resurrection, to the new heavens and new earth which God himself is preparing for us. No election result can make or undo that kingdom, and that is the kingdom to which we belong and the king whom we serve. God bless you. God bless you. Did I steer a middle route there while speaking truth? I hope so. Last week we, uh, we looked at harvest and we talked about sowing to the Spirit. The principle was what you sow, you reap. And we talked about sowing to the Spirit. This week we're going to look at treasure. We'll be reading Matthew chapter 6 verses 19 through 24. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's the principal thought that I think we need to get our hearts and heads around. And then next week we'll look at faithfulness from Luke 16:10. Faithful in little, faithful in much. One man's trash is another man's treasure. Do you believe that? Do you like my jacket? I wore it. It's actually a little warm for it, but I wore it today because this was one man's trash, but actually it's my treasure. I like it very much. I hope you do too. It illustrates the principle that our individual values determine what is treasure. One man's treasure is another man's trash. Another man's trash is another man's treasure. Some of my values, the values that shaped the way I determined treasure at the time, were determined in high school, and maybe you can identify with my experience, um, I f- formed kind of a weird envy of kids who thought they were better than me, who had the advantage of wealthier parents, nicer clothes, better toys, chances to excel through athletics, many belonged to a country club, racket and swim club. They excelled in sports. They just seemed to have it all. Maybe it was all in my mind, but it created, and perhaps this indeed is the most important part, it created a felt need in me to have what they had. Wanted to look like them, wear the clothes that they wore, wanted to excel in the things that they excelled because their lives were like a mathematical formula that said, this is, this is success. And I knew that because all the other kids seemed to like them and approve of whatever they said and laughed at whatever they said if it was funny or were stern about whatever things they said if it were stern. My parents came from what you would call lower middle class. I don't even know how we ended up in that neighborhood. I think we were on the edge, and we bought a newer custom-built home that, that we got with a lot that was available. So I really felt out of place, but... My parents were very thrifty, which meant that when I would say, oh, I, I, can I get this kind of jacket? Because I wanted to fit in. I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to be approved, right? That, in my mind, that's how you do it. You know, you, you wear what the cool people are wearing. But all my parents could do was to afford knockoffs. And knockoffs, oh, man, a knockoff you can spot immediately. And this was before brand names. But, you know, people have an eye for those things. So if you're wearing a knockoff, you know, something that's like a poor imitation of the real thing, they spot you. They know. Finding in those things my security. You know, am I safe? Do I matter? Do I count? and my significance my security and my significance that was the way to be accepted that was the way to be liked and approved and that's what determined for me what is of value you know what's interesting is even when you graduate from high school And you grow up, you just move to new values, new circles of influence, new people that kind of tell you what's important and what isn't, what you ought to believe and think, and what you ought to say and do. And we find our treasure in those things because those things become valuable to us and they determine what's important to us in life. In 1968, course, a movement of anti-materialism kind of crept across the country. It was really kind of crazy. It was anti-government, anti-materialism, and I found a home because I was already, by requirement, by poverty, anti- materialistic. You know what I mean? (laughs) So, uh, I found a home among the long-haired, ear ring, ear pierced, you know, hippies of the day, the anti-war movement, and what it did for me was it kind of taught me how how values can change depending on your circle of influence, and it was during that time that I kind of became my own person, and it was then from there that I came to the ultimate radical and revolutionary, Jesus Christ. And it is in living for Christ, and I'm still on this journey, but I'm becoming more of an individual in my own person as I become more and more honest and straight with him and given purpose and meaning in life through his mission of love and selfless, sacrificial living. it's Yeah, it starts at home. It starts wherever you are. It starts right here today. But it goes with you wherever you are, however however you see the world around you, how you evaluate what's being told to you, what you're seeing on television, what you're hearing about other people in our country and around the world. It shapes that and influences it. Well, perhaps a little of my story helps you to understand how treasure works and why treasure is based on ideas of personal advantage seen as need. Need for security and significance. Everyone has a deep need for security and significance. You could substitute for the word security the word love. Because when you are loved, there is a security with that love. And significance, you could substitute the word purpose or meaning. But whatever you, word you use, we attach to treasure things that we think are going to fulfill those deep needs that each of us as a person in this world needs and has. One person's trash is another person's treasure because what's involved in treasure is everything. Because in treasure, we see the fulfillment of our deepest, deepest needs. Others can't always see that. But that's what makes it treasure. And for that reason, what we treasure tells the truth about our heart for God. What we treasure tells the truth about our heart for God. And I want to look at these verses together. Let's read from chapter 6 of Matthew, verses 19 through 24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For, here's the reason... Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad or unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness... How great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Here we see the truth about treasure, the truth about our heart, and the truth About God. I want to take a minute just to look at each of these truths a little more closely. You see, the truth about treasure is this. All treasure is earthly treasure unless you know Jesus Christ, unless you are a member of the kingdom of God, unless you're living for the kingdom of God. You have nothing else but earthly treasure. This is it. This is it. But Jesus offers an alternative, an option to earthly treasure. And for that reason, he can say that earthly treasure is a bad investment. Earthly treasure is a bad investment. And he explains it. Moth, rust, thief. You're probably enough familiar with this. You already know the deeper senses of those ideas, but in that day, of course, uh, wealth was in woven fineries, you know, the things that are fine, robes and clothing. The rich had many, so many that they had more set aside, and moths would eat them, And granaries and food and the things that you would store, mouse and bugs, would get in and eat your wealth. And if it wasn't eaten, that was the sense of the word rust, thieves would break in and steal. That's a bad investment when so much is going to be taken, when it's insecure, and it can't be secured." But he says, heavenly treasure is a wise investment. It's totally secure. No moth, no rust, no thief. Now, here's a bit of a hurdle, but I'm just gauging this from my own experience. faith in jesus takes a bit of a different way of thinking when i was growing up and i know some of you don't know who jack benny is he was a comedian very dry very dry you couldn't whistle or spit after listening to jack benny he was so dry but he had this he had this gag this, this routine where this guy would, uh, would accost him, your money or your life. And Jack Benny would begin to think. And the thief would grow impatient. He'd say, well, your money or your life? And he'd go, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. Well, see, it's too dry for you. You shouldn't be thinking about something like that. Your money or your life? Why should you have to think at all? But that is so true of the way we are with earthly treasure. What we treasure is that valuable to us, that it is equal to the value of our very life, and we have to think about it, even at the peril of our own existence. Well, we have to think about faith in Jesus to break that kind of hold, that treasure, that mammon, that is materialism, can have on us. i got to tell you, amassing precious jewels and gold in heaven, streets of gold, houses of gold, (laughs) That that does not do much for me. That doesn't, that doesn't really grip my heart. You know what I mean? That's nice. That's nice. Okay. But, you know, storing up jewels or crowns, but that is the language of the Bible to help us understand that the most precious and most valuable things that we can store for ourselves are stored when we... It, put our faith in Jesus Christ, trust him more than ourselves, put our wealth, put all that's valuable into his hands and follow his will and his ways in serving and doing good in our world. In our home, with our kids, break the bond of selfishness, break the grip on always looking at what's in it for me. And you can only do that by totally trusting him. And Jesus is saying that is storing up a true treasure that you can't fully appreciate, but the value of it is beyond your imagination. And it's totally secure. This might help you. This might help you because it has helped me. In the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew who is Jewish, and out of deep respect, they avoid often the name of God, and they substitute the word heaven. Today, observant Jews will often type the word God with the O missing and just put an underline. Maybe you've seen that at some point or another. That's all an attempt to show deep respect for the person of God. Matthew, in Matthew, instead of saying kingdom of God, it's kingdom of heaven. And sometimes the very name of God is substituted by the word heaven. What if I told you that Jesus is talking about investing in God? Treasuring up treasure is the way the Greek language of Matthew puts it. Treasuring up treasure in heaven. But if you realize heaven is denoting the very person of God. And the kingdom of God, which Jesus spoke about, all of his parables, all of his teaching are contrasting and imagining the kingdom of God that we are called to enter into and be citizens of, a different economy, a different universe uniform, a different way of thinking and living. If we realize that that's what Jesus is talking about, investing in the kingdom of God, which Matthew calls the kingdom of heaven, it really changes the quality of what Jesus is saying. He's not saying just, yes, there will be treasure, there will be a future, there is a resurrection, there is a new heaven and new earth, but it's not just in the by-and-by, and it's not just gold and jewels and all of that stuff. No, it's something very precious that becomes the product of our lives when we live them for Jesus Christ, when we live them for God, when we invest our lives in the kingdom of God. And that's something that starts to happen, and you can see by, as you live by faith and you start to touch people, and it changes the economics of your life, and the way you see good and bad, and the way you think. And it changes the way you conduct yourself at home, among friends, at work, in every area of your life. And you are treasuring up treasure which Jesus says is eternal and secure. It's a goodness and it is a treasure that makes all the difference. That leads him to talk about the fact that if my disciples really trust their heavenly Father, they will live as if treasure in heaven is what really matters. Jim Elliot said, and he gave his life in Ecuador, trying to reach unreached peoples. With the good news that had changed his life, changed his economics, changed his way of seeing the world. And it cost him his life. But he went there having said, you are no fool to give up what you cannot keep to gain what you cannot lose. And just think about this, when you think about the Lord you serve in his kingdom and the treasure that he asks you to treasure, And this is just one of many verses like it. In fact, in the book of Proverbs, the poor are mentioned 37 times. 37 times. That's striking to me. And this is representative of the kind of ways that the poor are talked about. It says in Proverbs 19.17, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord. Lends. I love that. Would you lend to the Lord? Would you give alms to the Lord? Would you help the Lord? Even Proverbs says that, but we all know Jesus said that. As you do it to the least of these those who are naked, those who are imprisoned, those who are sick there's no color, race, no distinction. It's the condition of the life. Not their birth, not their background. And isn't that the kingdom that you want to be a part of? Isn't that the kingdom that makes you feel secure? Isn't that the love of God that makes you feel secure? Because you know it's a love that is not partisan or prejudiced. That it's a love that will be there no matter what you do. That God values you with a value the world will never see in you. And all he says is, if you are a member of my family, have that heart toward others. Have that heart toward others. Those you don't agree with. Even those you hate. Hate. I love that in Luke chapter 6, verse 27-28. Jesus says, love those who hate you. Love your enemies. Which means we as believers should have no enemies. (laughs) That's what it means. And you know, I've been walking with the Lord now 40 years, 40 plus years, and you'd think it'd be better, easier, easier it still takes a step of faith each and every day. That is to be our default mode. When he talks to us about the truth of our heart, he's saying our heart follows what we treasure. Where our treasure is, there will our heart be also, verse 21. That's the high stakes that are involved in what we treasure. Your heart is wrapped up In what you treasure. And that ultimately then causes you to put faith in that treasure and not faith in Jesus Christ. It causes you to protect that treasure and not protect what Jesus values and what Jesus treasures. To be satisfied with a little is great wisdom. By the way, I had a bout with cancer. I know there are people, friends, right here this morning that are fighting cancer. Do you know what cancer is? It's a growth that grows and grows and grows. It just wants to grow. That kind of attitude toward wealth and treasure is a cancer. But when I had cancer, it confirmed what I knew in my head. It confirmed in a new fundamental way in my heart to realize how, how rich I was. And none of it depended on material things. It depended on the Lord and the people that I cherish and the ideals and values of Jesus that I know are going to win that are going to triumph over evil. If that's not true, (laughs) then we ought to just pack it in. But it is true. Martin Luther King gave his life for that very truth, that good would triumph because God is good. Whoever increases earthly riches increases cares, but a contented heart is hidden treasure that trouble cannot find. Gratitude and contentment come from investing in God, in his kingdom. Listen, it is not what you have. It is what you enjoy. I'm going to share some really important things with you this morning, but that's one of them. If you will understand that truth, you will know true contentment. And you'll realize that contentment and joy and satisfaction are not on things, it's on what you enjoy. And there's a distinction between things and what you enjoy. Gratitude enjoys, but greed envies. Jesus doesn't use the word gratitude here, but in verses 22 and 23, he talks about greed. You don't see the word greed, but the expression, and it's interesting because he, it's a little play on words. He talks about the literal body. The eye is the window to the life, to the body, to the soul, to the heart, to your life, the, the most important, the sum of you. And, and just quite literally, if your eye is bad, you can't see, and you stumble around, you need assistance. But the word for bad is also the word evil. It's not just unhealthy because of the context of eye. Yeah, but there's a play on word, because in the ancient Mediterranean world, the evil eye was something that everybody, and you know what the evil eye is? It's greed, it's envy, it's covetousness. And Jesus is talking about generosity versus greed. And he says, if you are a greedy, envious, covetous person, your whole life is going to be filled with darkness. So really, it's a contrast between generosity and gratitude and envy and greed and covetous. Dante portrayed envy, greed, and covetous as nearest to hell. He pictured envy as someone with their eyes sewn shut. In fact, envy has been described in in history as greed that wears out the eyes. 1 John 2.16, John talks about envy when defining love of the world as the lust of the eyes, with lust of the flesh and lust of pride. Greed is blinding. We can't see. In fact, Timothy Keller in his book, uh, Counterfeit Gods, he show, shares a story about he was doing some messages, some talks, on the, the, the seven... seven What is it, evil sins? I forgot the word. Deadly sins, the seven deadly sins. And his wife said to Timothy Keller, she said, well, when you get to greed, you're going to suffer the lowest attendance of all. And sure enough, it was very sparsely attended. But it wasn't because people didn't want to hear about greed. It wasn't that they were hostile to the subject or that Timothy Keller would be thought to be picking on them. In fact, they thought it didn't apply to them because nobody thinks he or she is greedy. And that is what makes greed the deadliest of all sins. In fact, in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, I mean, when did Jesus ever say, watch out, be on your guard? But that's what he said about covetousness about envy, about greed, which are all expressions of that same, I've got to have more to fulfill my need, but then your need actually just becomes the acquisition itself. The love of money, not money, the love of money, Paul says in 1 Timothy 6.10, is the root of all evil. All evil. Think about that. And when has that not been exposed? Search your own souls. I read this this last week. I want to share it with you. It's very short, but to me, it just really mesmerized me. That same night, I wrote my first short story, it took me 30 minutes. It was a dark little tale about a man who found a magic cup and learned that if he wept into the cup his tears his tears turned to pearls. But even though he had always been poor He was a happy man and rarely shed a tear, so he found ways to make himself sad so that his tears could make him rich. As the pearls piled up, so did his greed grow. The story ended with the man sitting on a mountain of pearls. He's weeping helplessly, tears dropping and bouncing as pearls. Why? His greed. Destroyed his happiness. His greed destroyed his whole value system. His greed destroyed his family and even his wife. And in his true sadness, he wept and produced more pearls and more pearls and more pearls. That mesmerized me because it was such a succinct statement of the irony and the tragedy of greed and wanting more. The person whose sight is distorted by materialism is blind to God and what truly is valuable and, alas, unable to truly put their faith in God. God's greed is gratitude. <clears throat> God's kind of greed. Play on words. Forget that. Be grateful. Recognize that his goodness to others is not something that we should resent, nor should we ignore his goodness to us. Indeed, Thanking God for his goodness prevents greed, covetous, and envy. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And the truth about God, verse 24, we cannot invest in both heaven and earth. How many of you have played in Monopoly? Monopoly is a game I haven't played in a while because it takes so long but uh, I've played it many times. It is a favorite. But you know, the goal of Monopoly is to monopolize and bankrupt everybody else that you're playing the game with. And when you bankrupt everybody else, you, you win. You win the game, but the game ends, and that's really the economics of our world. You win at the expense of others, and that's called greed. It's just a game, of course. It truly is, but it is the game of life that we engage in when we treasure treasure on earth. That's the opposite of the Lord and His kingdom. Lend to the Lord. Invest in the things of God. It's not just a game. Parker Brothers, they're the makers of Monopoly. They take for, for granted one final instruction, and that instruction is this. When the game's over, you put all the pieces back in the box. And really, that's the end of the game of life. I, I don't have to tell you, you've never seen people on their way to a graveside and that hearse pulling a U-Haul with all that person's goods. Jesus is saying no one can serve two masters. Notice how strong the language is. Jesus didn't say, look, it's a good idea to, to try not to serve two masters. He says you can't do it. You are deciding. Every time that you put earthly treasure ahead of Christ, ahead of God in your life, ahead of investing in His treasure, you're making a choice to serve mammon, to serve money, to serve greed. And you're investing in ruin. You're you're investing in nothing. You're investing in things that don't count, that don't last, that... Add to further grief and ruin in this world. Why? Again, because of security and significance. That's our justification, our felt need. But that is fundamental to faith in Christ. Put your faith in him. And that's why money Jesus talked about more than anything else, because it is that acid test of our faith, of what we really trust. Do you know that if we're trusting in money, we are investing money with ultimate significance. And that is the very definition of idolatry. Idolatry is the act of investing created things with ultimate significance. More than God. More than God. Money, I think many of you are wise, And you know, money is a good servant, but a poor master. Be the better master of money by letting God be the master of you. Put God first financially. Start where you are. Take that step of faith. God's not interested in taking. He's amazingly interested in giving into you and through you. As members, citizens of his kingdom and his kingdom. In fact, Paul said, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness." And that is what Jesus goes on to say in verses 25, 6, 7, 8, all the way through verse 34 of this chapter. If you were just to keep reading, he would say, don't worry about all these things. I'll take care of you. And then what does he end with? Seek first my kingdom. Seek first my kingdom and its righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Will you stand? This morning, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, he alone can set you free. We have a heart, and if we don't, we should develop a heart for the suffering of people around us, Even if we think it irrational, or we think it foolish, they are suffering, they are hurting. And we should be sensitive to that. But ultimately, the only one that can transform and set you free from all the cares and worries of this world is Jesus Christ. If you don't know him, I invite you to give your life to him, to trust him, I can help you. Others will be up here after we pray to pray with you, to help you, if that should be your... But you don't need anyone else. You can do it. Turn to him. Give your life to him. Talk to him. He's not dead. He's not an artifact of history. He's risen, and he lives. He's present through his spirit. Start to trust your life with him. Don't depend on anyone else. Live for him in every situation you're in. You'll know true peace because he is the Prince of Peace. And you'll know true meaning because your life will be meaningful to those around you. And you will be investing in eternal treasure. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your Son, our Savior, our Lord, Jesus Christ. It is in his name that we pray and all of God's people said, God bless you.